This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we hope to be joined in just a few moments by Ricky Kozowski, who is the rabbi at Beta Hava, the Reformed Jewish Congregation in Florence, because we want to talk to her and get her perspective on what is happening in Israel. It is, of course, unfair to ask any one person uh, to speak for either the Israeli government, the Israeli government, or the Jewish people, or the Jewish, uh, or the Jews in the United States. All that having been said, I think that Ricky Kozowski is a really interesting and involved and smart person who can give us an important perspective. Rabbi, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. I would like your perspective on what is happening in Israel today, the attack by Hamas, how you personally react to it, and how you think the congregation is reacting to this new war. Rabbi? Hi. Hi. Good morning. I'm sorry for the technical difficulties. I'm really... Uh, really glad to be on the line with you. Um, well, I don't. I don't think I'm gonna uh, necessarily. I mean, I'm not a news reporter, so I can't give all the facts in that way. But um, last Saturday morning, early in the morning, which was Shabbat, the Jewish Sabbath, and also the last of our uh, Jewish holidays, it was Simchat Torah um, in Israel, and we had an extra day in the United States, but. Um, uh, around, I believe it was around 5.30 or so in the morning on Saturday and in Israel time, um, Hamas coordinated uh, a massive um, attack in Israel, and they um, something like 1,500 militants entered by sea, by land, um, even by air, um, by hand gliders, and um, uh, they, uh, they invaded Israel along the border, and at the same time there were thousands of rockets being shot into, fired into Israel, um, like two, three thousand, and um, uh, and they did a massacre. They uh, massacred citizens. They uh, it was completely brutal. Um, it's just astonishing that a surprise attack like this could happen given the intelligence what we think of as the intelligence of the Israeli military. Um, and it was also the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, war which happened on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the Jewish year, also another Jewish holiday surprise attack, um, and that was in 1973. So um, the day was very you know, planned and thoughtful, and well, not thoughtful, but planned out. Um, uh, you know, it's a time early in the morning and on the holidays and on Shabbat is, you know, the country tends to be uh, sleeping or, um, you know, celebrating or at home or in synagogue or secular, secular Israelis do other things, too. It's a holiday day. So um, the Hamas militants also attacked um, an outdoor musical festival. Um, there were probably about 3,000 people there, from what I've heard, and they, um, they killed 260 people and um, also took many hostages from from this music festival that was that was happening. This was like an outdoor all-night music festival of people probably in their 20s and 30s, very sort of celebratory uh, atmosphere. Um, and they took hostages. So uh, they literally massacred uh, people on, on uh, several of the kibbutzim. A kibbutz is a... 
like a collective farm. It's been part of Israeli society since the beginning. Uh, there's about 250 of these kibbutzim spread out all over Israel. They tend to be um, sort of, you know, enclosed communities, um, farming communities, um, and they uh, lit- literally massacred people. They went, you know, even when people were hiding in uh, in bomb shelters and safe rooms, uh, you know, they, they either blew down the door or they went into them. Um, and it was very brutal. Children watched parents being killed. Um, they, you know, killed elderly. They, they did not discriminate. Um, and it's just a really, I mean, I can go on and on and on. I think everyone's read the news. But um, and something like, I think, 150 hostages were taken. And it's just, it's the whole, all of it is just horrific. And I guess... Um, Rabbi Ricky, I am not asking you to be a military intelligence officer, but I am asking about the piece that was in the New York Times today. Let me summarize it in about 20 seconds. It says that in an Israeli, an Israeli invasion of, of the territory that is controlled by Hamas is a trap and that there is no way that the military, the Israeli military can invade Gaza and not be caught in a trap and a war that will go on forever and that the Israeli army is not really trained or equipped to have hand-to-hand street combat in an area that is the most densely populated place by human beings on the face of the earth and that there is no easy solution there is actually no solution. And Netanyahu saying we're going to wipe Hamas out is bluster because the cost mm-hmm. of that is going to be, it, uh, to attempt that is going to be enormous both for Palestinians and for Israelis. And I'm wondering if you could share your thoughts about that. Yeah. You know, Bill, this is just such an, such an atrocious choice to have to make. And this is really just, there's no solution. There's no, um, there's, there's just there's no good answer to this and, and uh, Israel and the people of Gaza have been in this um, you know have been in this state for a while and um, you know I can't really speak to what you're saying in terms of the military but uh, Netanyahu you know has, is um, you know he's sort of like you know, he's like our our Trump. He's like our, you know, the United States for the United States and the and the Israelis who have been opposing Trump since um, last December, January. I don't remember the exact date. They there's been weekly mass protests, this d- democracy movement, like mass protests in in cities throughout Israel every Saturday night, and then other activities through the week, protesting Netanyahu's government. So, um, just the horrendousness of the situation like um there you know you asked about the impact on gaza is just enormous the uh the the people of gaza who are also you know i I grieve for them also and and many jews do in many parts of the jewish community and i i I don't think that there's you know there's 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 lots of opinions on on what to do but the, the the pictures from Gaza are just, you know, they're heartbreaking also, but, but that's Hamas is doing. Like Hamas, you know, created, yes, you know, in my opinion, this 
situation, like the the level of mass terror and um, what we saw in Israel was a pogrom, like a, like a horrible pogrom. There's never there's never been a day in Jewish history since the Holocaust when a thousand Jews and others were slaughtered in such a brutal way. And there's there's no I mean that's a provocative act to one of the biggest militaries, you know that is you know trying to save its its own survival on its own land, you know, uh, to have, there's, there's no way that the, that the Israel, Israel and the Israeli military and the Israeli people are not going to have some retaliation. And not to mention that there's hostages who are children. I just read today about a 12-year-old boy named Eitan who was taken from Kibbutz near Oz, which is right along the Gaza border. And, he and his mom and two sisters were taken hostage, and somehow the mother and the two sisters escaped. So there's this 12-year-old boy in the midst of all these other hostages and alone, like no one knows where he is. And this is what, you know, the Israeli consciousness right now and the Jewish consciousness is grieving. It's like we hear these stories, and, like, I don't have to know that boy to feel like he's my family. And that's what's going on. So you have this enormous emotional trauma, understandable trauma response on so many levels happening. And I just want to say the response by uh, the Israeli government to shut off the water and uh, the electricity um, on Gaza right now is just, it's heartbreaking to me. It's horrible. Like, I do oppose that. There are many parts of the Jewish community that are actively speaking out against that. Like, like we don't want the mass Gazan population to be suffering, that's that's not the response. But this is a really this is going to be a really difficult time because the very government that uh, you know half of Israel has been opposing for you know months and months is now the government that they have to trust, even though actually they're creating a kind of unity government, emergency government right now uh, with the opposition. But uh, that's who that's that's who they have to entrust with getting those hostages out and um, and creating some kind of safety for an entire country that is just in shock, funerals every day. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And, um, and it's very, it's it's really hard. I, I don't know what the answer is going to be, but it's, it's, a, it's a horrendous situation. Rabbi Ricky, could you explain this? This was an unanticipated an unprovoked attack by Hamas on Israel. What I don't understand, and I'd appreciate it if you could help me to understand, is what was the point of this attack? It Was it to seize land? Was it to cause terror in Israel? I don't really understand what the analysis is of what Hamas is, was and is trying to accomplish with this military. This military, I think it's an invasion, but it's not really to take over the country. It's not really intended to drive all the Jews out of out of out of the land of Israel. So, what's the point of this? Um, well, you said it. It's not. This wasn't an invasion to seize the land. This was. This is this is a pogrom. This is terror. This is just mass destruction. This is shooting. There were forty babies on uh, on a. On, on one of the kibbutzim that was that were found killed, like like in their you know in their bassinets, like this or wherever they found them, you know it's 
this was just terror. This wasn't this that. I mean, if you ask me, that's all. That's what this is about. This is this is hatred. This is um, uh, this is you know this is to to show hatred and 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 strike at Israel and to hit in the most raw and vulnerable populations. You know they. You know, there were Thai workers who were taken hostage. Vivian Silver, she's a 75-year-old peace activist. She's Canadian-born, lived in Israel since the 70s. Um, she's a prominent peace activist in Israel, and she's taken hostage. Like, she created this organization called Women Wage War. There's these huge demonstrations of women, Palestinian women, Israeli women, uh, all, you know, all spectrums, and they dress in white, and they march across the country, and they... They have these gatherings, and it's it's really been you know a, a you know somewhat impactful movement, and you know you know she's one of the hostages and um, lives in lives in one of the kibbutz team right by the border also, and um, you know I've heard people who who know her are just praying that like she knows people in Gaza, like she knows a lot of people in Gaza. She used to shuttle people who had cancer from Gaza to Israeli hospitals for treatments. Like she's a humanitarian. Um, they're, you know, I'm just hoping and praying that somehow her, uh, you know, she's able to help in this situation. Who knows what's happening there? We just like fear the worst. But I, I don't think this is, you know, was this to provoke and, and create, a, to bring Israel, the whole Middle East into war? Is this to create a situation? I like, I've, you know, I've heard some of the like counter activists, you know, saying that the, you know, it, you know, in the in the free Palestine movement and the pro-Palestine movement, um, uh, and I support a Palestinian state. I think you can be you can be pro-Palestinian state and also pro-Israel and pro uh, some peaceful solution between Israel and Palestine. But um, on the other end, you know, I really heard things that just to me are grotesque about justifying that this is this Hamas reaction is what happens when you lock people in an open air prison you know, for so long in Gaza and, you know, and I, and I just don't hold by that, that this brutality, that humanity turns to its worst, even when it's under dire situations. And, um, you know, no part of this could, could be helpful. So Rabbi, Rabbi Ricky, we're going to interrupt you right there. And when we come back, we're going to talk about this expression of pro Hamas on American college campuses. We're going to continue this conversation right after this. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You want the very best opportunities for your child. Given the amount of time children spend in school each day, you want your child to be inspired, to be engaged, to love going to school. At Bement, each student experiences this every day. The Bement School in Deerfield is a close-knit community of students from around the valley and across the globe. Kindergarten through ninth grade, learning from each other in the classroom, rooting for each other on the athletic field, and celebrating each other on the stage. We are local, we are global, and our differences make us stronger. We interact face-to-face, share meals together every day, and open doors for one another. The true essence of your child's time at Bement is preparing for a life of integrity, of significance, of joy. Financial aid and transportation are available to help make a Bement school education possible. I'm Kim Laughlin, Director of Admission. 
please contact me or visit our website. Bement will be the best investment you make in your child's future. The future of joint pain relief is here. It's QC Kinetics, advanced regenerative medicine. This is amazing stuff. If you've been told more steroids or surgery are your only options, don't move so fast. Get a second opinion and learn more about how you can harness your body's own healing agents to attack that joint pain. I'm talking about lasting relief. QC Kinetics doesn't mask the pain. These treatments go to the very root of the problem, using concentrated healing properties placed directly in your aching joints to restore and repair that damaged tissue. Imagine living your life this fall with no more pain in your knees, hips, shoulder, or back, and without drugs, downtime, or surgery. Listen, life is about motion, and QC Kinetics is giving people their lives back with these all-natural treatments. Call the local medical professionals and get a free consultation today. QC Kinetics, the nation's leader in regenerative medicine. Call 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Rabbi Ricky Kozowski, who is the rabbi at Beta Hava, the Reformed Jewish Congregation in Florence. Buzz, you have a, something to direct to the rabbi. I do, Rabbi Ricky. Um, I, re I really want to ask you, as a spiritual leader, more than as someone who's expected to know military uh, mm -hmm. tactics and, uh, and uh, geopolitical factors. I think the problem for me as a Jew who is in pain, the horrors which you just described are so right in front of my face and in my heart. At the same time, why do human beings, why do governments always feel like the way to reprise against unthinkable horrors <coughs> is with unthinkable horrors? The, the European Union has just met in an emergency session and implored Israel not to uh, starve um, Gaza, the 2.3 million people who were there. According to the United Nations, there's 330,000 people displayed in the last two, displaced in the last two days from their homes in Gaza. We have this long history of settlements and occupation that uh, sort of leads to this. And I don't know why um, people don't understand that just fomenting more violence doesn't foment more hatred for generations to come. As a spiritual leader, how do you guide us at a time when we're hurting from an affront to decency like Hamas has imposed on Israel since Saturday, and at the same time not fall into that trap? Mm -hmm. What say you yeah. as a spiritual person? I, we did the same I thing after 9-11, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, I would say, I, I was just about to say, this is Israel's 9-11. You know, this is Israel's 9-11. And, um, you know, the word that jumped out at me that what you said is all, all of that leads to, like, I'm, I'm really cautious about using the word leads to because I, there's, I, I just, this level of atrocity, I don't think we can uh blame it on prior traumas and blame it on situations. I mean, the Jews went through the Holocaust. It would be like blaming Netanyahu's behavior on Hitler. Like, I just don't think we can do that. And um, it's it's just a really, it's really hard. I, I don't know. There's people who say there's evil, and then there's, you know, freedom fighters. And there's, there's a lot of debate about what this counts as. And... Um, you know, I think there is a place for that. 
where we can just pause and just feel the pain of on, on both sides of the people who are, you know, caught in the middle, who are killed and suffering, you know, who are, you know, for the Gazan people who are displaced, for the children who are killed in these, you know, bombings, um, who are suffering. Um, and the same thing for Israel, too. Like, it's, uh, you know, it's like it's seen as Israel as the military power, but Israel's perspective is, is has a different narrative. And until we can actually sit down and listen to each other and find ways to really hear that there are two, it's a dual narrative. There's there's two different perspectives on, on what events have led to all of this. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think for me, I'm, I'm not, you know, one of the questions that um, Bill had asked me as part of the show was to talk about what my, how my con- what my how my congregation is responding, and I and I can be really honest that I'm not quite sure. My congregation is more liberal, leftist. You know, we we have members who are Zionists, who are members who are anti-Zionists, and members who I think largely are not sure what their personal connection might be to Israel or um, haven't. You know, I'm not sure, but that's something for me that like I I want my congregation to delve into this in the in the coming weeks and months. Like it's time for us to really get in a room and talk with each other about the pain and the hurt and you know different perspectives and and try to listen and learn from each other um, because like as I said before like this isn't Israel a country for Jewish people like this is part of our identity this is part of our Jewish story and um, you know almost everybody knows some every almost every Jewish person knows someone who knows or has family there or you know it has some relationship. Rabbi Ricky, Rabbi Ricky, let me, let me ask you this. Um, I would like you to tease out for me, uh, how much of what is going on in the United States today, uh, with regard to the pro Hamas, uh, sentiment that has been expressed on college campuses in particular. I don't think it's by any stretch of majority, but it is a, it is a strain of thought. How much of this in your judgment is opposition to Israeli government policy, and how much of this is simply a uh, cloak for anti-Semitism? What's your view? Yeah, it's it's hard for me to answer that question. I, there's a lot of anti-Semitism in it, um, and uh, so I think there is a lot of anti-Semitism. Um, there's a lot of double standards and and not, you know, just calling out Hamas for this brutality, I'm defending it, saying it's understandable. I mean, that to me is just, these are anti-Semitic tropes. And um, uh, a lot of that, I mean, you know, I was talking to one college student who there was a Jewish gathering uh, for, that was co-sponsored by the different Jewish organizations, by Chabad and by Hillel, which are usually two of the big organizations that, you know, help Jewish students on campus or Jewish centers. And they had a Jewish gathering. For, they called it for gathering for Jewish unity. I mean, it was a sad gathering. It was a grieving space, or just to hold space for any students that wanted to come and, you know, share. Or, you know, they lit candles, things like that. And, um, and I think there were some pro-Palestine gatherings happening at the same time. And also in the middle of um, campus, there was a like a Palestinian flag, and and it said, um, like, uh, you know, Israel is a occupation. I forget what it said. And um, my, and the college student that I spoke with, 
you know, he just felt like, why write this one moment in the middle of this brutal attack? Do we have to have that, like, can't, like, they, you know, the sort of pro-Palestinian students just pause for one moment and, and just feel the humanity of this? And, you know, and I said, well, I think at the same time, I think the Jewish students also have to somehow, you know, also make space as well. And can the groups talk? And and I don't know what's going to happen. You know, there's big campuses and there's small campuses. So this is a small campus. Let me, let me ask you this, uh, Rabbi oh, Ricky. Small. What do you think the American government should do at this point? And or what do you think we as persons who live in the United States should do at this point? I, I don't know if I can speak to what the government should do. I want uh, the U.S. government to strongly support Israel now and always and um, and to understand the outrageousness of this and to speak out. And I want um, both sides of the divide of U.S. you know, uh, officials and um, leaders to speak out against this. I was watching CNN the other night, and yeah. I... Let me interrupt. Let me interrupt. Republicans speaking out against this, but I was wanting, you know, I just wanted to have it be equally understood of, uh, of the situation. But So I can't really speak to what I want the government to do, but... Um, well, the I, other half of your question. <laughs> well, oh, USU. I want I'm US American. I, can I speak to that? Sure. I this is this is a time of grief. Like in Jewish tradition, when someone dies and then they're buried, it's called shiva. It lasts a week. It's acute grief and shock. And and you know, psychologists like like we know that this is this this is a kind of universal cycle of grief. And that's where uh, Israel and the Jewish people are at right now. So what I want is for Americans to know that that's the experience and to show up and uh, faith leaders everywhere to understand that there is anti-Semitism in this and our own experience, our history of anti-Semitism and our trauma history is so triggered right now. And I want to hear from people who are not Jewish just saying, we care. How are you doing? You know, this, this, you know, we're sending our love and our prayers. This is a horrible situation. And, And I hope that we as American Jews will also do that for uh, Muslims, when it, when it's happening, you know, like what's happening in Gaza right now, like we also have to, you know, speak out against that, and um, and that's really what I want people to know. This is not business as usual. This is like catastrophic for us. We're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with Rabbi Ricky Kozowski, who is the rabbi at Beit Hava in Florence. Rabbi, thanks so much for your time and insights today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. 65 low-income households in East Hampton will benefit from a new canopy solar array at River Valley Co-op on Route 10. The canopy is expected to produce enough energy to power the building and provide a nearly $20,000 yearly savings on electric bills for participants in the community solar program. Community solar is a type of solar energy where a number of individuals can subscribe to and share the benefits of a single solar system. Northampton may soon need a new police chief. Chief Jody Casper is one of three finalists to become chief in Nantucket. Mayor Gina Louisera tells the Gazette she hopes Casper stays in Northampton, but is not surprised places like Nantucket would value her leadership. Casper has been with Northampton Police Department for 25 years and became the city's first female police chief in 2015. Once elected, the new Nantucket police chief is expected to start sometime in mid to late November. The Vermont Yankee nuclear power plant stands to complete the decommissioning project four years early. 
The facility has been closed since 2014 after operating for over 40 years, and Northstar obtained the site in 2019, working to quickly demolish the facility. And the Southampton Police Department will be transitioning to utilizing the East Hampton Public Safety Dispatchers due to significant staffing shortages. East Hampton Dispatchers will be used to send Southampton Police, Fire, and EMS to any calls they receive. The Southampton Police Department lobby will remain unlocked for the community to come in and access services. Sun-cloud combination today continued relatively mild, a high of 64 to 68. Scattered clouds tonight, evening temperatures in the 50s, an overnight low of 38 to 44. Much cooler tomorrow, partly to mostly sunny and a high of 58 to 62. Most of the weekend looks dry. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It is critical that the investigation is not limited to federal violations of gender discrimination, but includes the alleged allegations of corruption, nepotism, abuse of power, and use of position to aid Ms. Cunningham's personal business. These allegations actually require an investigation by a different body than a Title IX investigator. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the co-op every day. At the co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just the right amount in the co-op's bulk department. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Do you think the Amish sleep in horse-drawn beds? Whatever beds they sleep in, the Amish build beds that are simply beautiful with subtle arts and crafts touches. There's an old Amish proverb, the most important things in your home are people. Maybe so, but those people need a place to sleep. Amish made beds from Talon Furniture. So good looking, so well built. Talon has Amish beds ready for delivery or order in the wood and finish you want. Then, we have beds made in Vermont that have all of the craftsmanship of Amish beds, made from cherry or maple, but these Vermont-built beds are just a touch more elegant in their design. How about an upholstered bed? An upholstered headboard and frame. It's a really nice look and feel. Allen Furniture's upholstered beds come in dozens of fabrics and leathers. In between today and tomorrow, there will be time in bed. Spending that time in a nice bed just feels good. Come to Talon Furniture little bed boutique just down the hill from Amherst College. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We welcome to the show Marjorie Kelly, who is a distinguished senior fellow at the Democracy Collaborative, which is a national research and development lab for democratic uh, economy. She has a number of books, well-known books, and her most recent one, just published, is titled Wealth Supremacy. It has a subtitle, How the Extractive Economy and the Biased Rules of Capitalism Drive Today's Crises. Uh, Marjorie Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. I would like to have you focus for a bit, uh, and then I want to get to the specifics. I want to talk to you about Mass Mutual right down the road from us. I want to talk to you about uh, cooperatives because this is National Co-op Month, and we did a whole show on co-ops yesterday. but tell us what you mean by wealth supremacy, because that's going to be our entree into some more detailed discussion. Sure. 
Well, Bill, thanks for having me. Good morning to, to everybody. Yeah, wealth supremacy. You know, I've been working for a more a more democratic, more fair economy for, for more than 30 years. And I've been discouraged to see that we're, we're losing ground faster than we're gaining it. <clears throat> and the reason is that we've yet to challenge the core premise of our economy, which is that it's designed to serve the wealthy. It's designed to create more, though if you have capital, it's gonna serve you, the more capital you have, uh, the more it's gonna serve you. And it, it, this is a form of bias, I call it wealth supremacy. It says wealthy people matter more than everybody else um, and matters more than the environment, more than the community, more than workers. And that's that. this is not just hand-waving, this is, I, I, I look at how this is, really embedded in the operating system of, of capitalism. I, you know, I've been a business person for 20 years. I come from a business family. So I feel like I've been a, a spy in the house of business for, for a couple of decades. And, and I know how it works. And how it works is it preferences capital over everything else uh, in, in lots of ways. And I, I, I'm trying to say, Hey, you know, we don't have to attack every tiny little problem. Let's look at the core problem, which is wealth supremacy. We are talking with Marjorie Kelly, whose new book is Wealth Supremacy. That is the title. And the first chapter, I think, was really interesting uh, for a few reasons. For those of us uh, in Western Massachusetts, the title of the chapter is Who Will Own the Earth? Two paths to our future. Perhaps you could read those first couple of sentences of, of that chapter because it raises some really sure. intensely important issues. Yeah, I like that, Bill. And I think this is this is a question that we're facing uh, in in coming coming decades. Who is going to own the earth? And here's <clears throat> here's uh, what's happening in the tiny town of Cibola, Arizona home to just 300 people, a firm called Greenstone, a subsidiary of, of a subsidiary of the financial conglomerate Mass Mutual, quietly bought the rights to nearly all the town's water. <clears throat> Greenstone set out to sell that water to the highest bidder, shifting it away from the vital living use of agriculture and selling it to the Phoenix suburb of Queen Creek for purposes like filling backyard pools. As County Supervisor Holly Irwin told a reporter, they're gonna make big bucks off the water and who's gonna suffer? It's the rural counties going up against big money. Tell us more about the fight to own water. In particular, I was interested in the statement in your book that says this, the United Nations World Water Development Report projects that by 2050, some 6 billion people, more than half the global population, will suffer clean water scarcity. Business understands this frighteningly well. In May 2000, Fortune magazine observed, quote, water promises to be to the 21st century what oil was to the 20th century, the precious commodity that determines the wealth of nations. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I I start with this story of water because it really shows us two paths. And, and one path is the path of the extractive economy where capital is a predatory 
force and wants to own everything. <clears throat> and this is on autopilot. I mean, Mass Mutual, you know, we could have, we could be insured, uh, insured by this place. I mean, I also look at like hedge funds and, and private equity and all, you know, our, our foundations and universities and colleges are invested in these. So the whole thing is on autopilot. And what it says is we want to own everything. And there's this one hedge fund manager who's out in Colorado buying water rights. <clears throat> and he says, he says water is the biggest emerging market on earth. Um, it, it's a trillion dollar market opportunity. <laughs> Uh, that's one way to look at it, and that is how capitalism looks at it. But but let me just finish real quickly. And but there's another way to look at it, which is that water is a human right. Water is what every living creature needs every single day, and it needs to be protected. It needs to be available at, at affordable cost. And this is a critical question, Bill, as we go into water shortages, um, as you mentioned. So which path are we going to take? Right now, 85% of Americans already get their water from from publicly owned water city owned county owned um we can we can keep it that way uh, or we can go to a privatization and it pay through the nose for this this vital resource you describe the company that bought the water rights in this one story as a subsidiary of a subsidiary of the financial conglomerate mass mutual which is headquartered here in springfield massachusetts what struck mm -hmm. me about the sent about that sentence in particular is that Mass Mutual is not a shareholder company. It's a mutual company. Uh, it is not the largest financial institution by any stretch. It's number one hundred on the Fortune five hundred. If this is what a co company with a generally pretty good reputation for looking mm -hmm. out for their community, mm -hmm. if that's what this company does, imagine what the Exxon's of the world do. And I'm wondering if you could share your perspective on yeah. that yeah that that's that's right um you know of course the exxon question is a terrible one i mean there there we face the question of is the purpose uh to maximize returns to shareholders which is mostly the wealthy or to preserve life on earth you know that question is answered right now in favor of shareholders but you're right even a place like mass mutual is following the same ethos and, and and this is what i write about in the book it's really in the air that we breathe it's this bias where does bias reside it's in our language it's in our norms it's in our institutions i mean it's everywhere you don't have to have actual malice in order to be acting in a biased and and damaging way and that's the frightening piece and that's why i'm saying let's call it out as 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 bias wealth wealth supremacy and, and delegitimize it and say hey there's another path we can actually have an economy designed for all of us a democratic economy we are speaking with marjorie kelly whose new book is wealth supremacy she is a senior fellow at the democracy collaborative take a minute tell us what the democracy collaborative is what it really does yeah, we've been around for 20 years, and um, <clears throat> so we're a nonprofit. We work nationally to catalyze a democratic economy. And your headquarters you know, we, we is work where? In both theory. Your headquarters is where? Um, in D.C. and Cleveland. 
Okay. And I... uh, and I, I and I'm in uh, Salem, Massachusetts, so we're we're virtual in in a lot of ways. Um, but so um, you know, so we work to help awaken people that there's another kind of economy possible and to awaken people to the fact that capital extraction is really the core nature of the problem we face. And this is what my book is about. We also work on the ground in communities all over building a democratic economy. We call it community wealth building. And it's a, a form of local economic development uh, that we, we devised a number of years ago. And we're working in places like 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 Cleveland and, and the Bay Area and Los Angeles and you know communities need to own and control their own assets uh, and that's a way to keep wealth local and to spread it in broad-based hands so this this is the work we're doing both theory and practice I'd like to ask you Marjorie Kelly about the story on the front page of today's New York Times and I ask it of you because you spend a fair amount of your book titled Wealth Supremacy, about how the environment is affecting all of us, how climate change is the issue of our time in many ways. And the front page of the Times today has this story, ExxonMobil strikes $60 billion deal for shale giant, the acquisition of Pioneer Natural Resources, Exxon's largest since its merger with Mobil in 1990, is a bet that U.S. energy policy will not move against fossil fuels in a major way. What do you say about that? Well, it's just incredible, isn't it? It's so discouraging. <clears throat> so this is the company that for so long was telling us, well, no, climate change isn't real, or maybe that maybe the science is, is indeterminate. Uh, and uh, it, it they they are not going to look good in the eyes of history, Bill. I'll tell you that. That they're really advocating wealth apartheid. What they're saying is, we have an obligation to our shareholders. We need to make them wealthy, wealthier, uh, because uh, 89% of holdings in in the stock market are held by the richest 10%, and, and most of that is held by the upper uh, the upper reaches of that of that 10%. So they're saying, you know, we need to make the wealthy wealthier, and that takes precedence over preserving life on Earth. And and the and the point that I make here, Bill, is that this is Exxon is the tip of the spear, right, of the insanity of our current system. But it really shows that the whole nature of corporate governance is designed this way. It basically says what gains to capital matter nothing else matters there's a there's a formal principle in in financial and corporate accounting about this called materiality and it basically says in accounting you know you have to you have to report on it if it affects capital if it affects anything else you don't need to report on it and you, you it's it doesn't matter it's not real so we have the insanity is actually embedded in the operating system of capitalism and and exxon Mobil makes that insanity most visible we are speaking with Marjorie Kelly. Her new book is Wealth Supremacy. We are going to ask her about co-ops, which play a major part in this book, interesting to me, under the title, The Democratic Economy. I want to get her perspective on co-ops because this is National Co-op Month. I think you'll be surprised what she has to say. We'll be right back.
Last summer, Whalen Insurance finally did what a lot of insurance agencies around New England had done long ago. We partnered with a call center to handle routine things like a change of address. It went okay, but we're not going to continue. We found out that, no matter how simple or complicated the matter at hand, you prefer to talk to us. As one longtime Whalen Insurance client told me, the people at the call center are great, but they're not Amy. I like knowing I can call and talk to Amy every time. I guess I should have known. Local people and local service are what sets Whalen Insurance apart from those big 1-800 insurance companies. When you want a quote, when you need help with a claim, or anything else, just call. Or come to our office on King Street. Talk to Amy, or Kelly, or Mindy, or Valerie, or Lori. We tried the call center, you tried the call center, and we found out that you prefer talking to us. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. Call 586-1000. Reading is one of life's great pleasures. Having a community bookstore makes it even better. Broadside Bookshop is a community-minded, woman-owned, independent bookstore in downtown Northampton, where you can browse to your heart's content. For book lovers, Broadside is home away from home. You can order virtually any book on the Broadside website and pick it up at the store or have it sent to your door. Do you love books? You'll love Broadside Bookshop. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday Downtown Sounds? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Downtown Sounds Workers Co-op, a music store with new and used instruments and lessons. Live online or live in person. First lessons free when you buy an instrument. Plus, repairs of musical instruments and equipment. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Marjorie Kelly, Senior Fellow at the Democracy Collaborative, which is a national research and development lab for a democratic economy. She is the author of a number of very well-known books, and her most recent just-published book is titled Wealth Supremacy. In that book, in your book, you talk about broad-based ownership through cooperatives and worker ownership. It, it is National mm-hmm. Co-op Month, and I would appreciate your perspective on whether co-ops actually offer us a way out in a meaningful and economically uh, not only sustainable but substantial way as an antidote to wealth supremacy. Your view on that, please. I love I love co-ops. You know, I always try to buy uh, you know my dairy from from farmer co-ops, and I've been advocating for worker co-ops for many years. At, at the Democracy Collaborative, we helped to design and launch the Evergreen Cooperatives in Cleveland, in the inner city. There, uh, they're supported by anchor contracts. For example, there's a a, a green commercial laundry that does pretty much all the laundry for Cleveland Clinic, and it's 100% owned by its workers. And uh, we deliberately hired the people there, uh, the, the managers now, deliberately hired the formerly incarcerated. And these are people who um, in recent years have gotten bonuses at the end of the year, $6,000, $8,000. I mean, that's 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 real money. And um, so, yeah, I think co-ops of all kinds are a vital model for a democratic economy. They're one form of broad-based ownership. And we can certainly have a lot more of them. 
I also advocate for worker ownership of all kinds, including employee stock ownership plans, particularly if, if they empower workers in governance. Uh, and you can find companies that are both worker owned and are, are B corporations, which means they have a, a purpose of serving the broad public goods. I, I think I call this model, you know, the, the, the B Corp worker owned company next generation enterprise. The corporation itself needs to evolve. And I think worker ownership and, and this public benefit um, governance, that's the direction that we need to head in. We also need, we need public ownership. We talked about water. 15% uh, of forests worldwide are owned by uh, or controlled by communities or indigenous peoples. And the UN has said that's vital to preserving endangered species. So broad-based ownership works. And that's, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of the essence of what it means to have a democratic economy. You mentioned B corporations, B short for beneficial corporations. And you wrote a book that focused on B corporations, beneficial corporations, which have a different model. Tell us about that for a minute, if you would, please. Yeah, I um, um, Jay Cohen Gilbert is the, the the primary person who's created the the benefit corporation, uh, the B corporation. It's the idea that you know if you don't want corporations to see their purpose as maximizing returns to shareholders, and that is what's taught in business schools today. That is what people uh, in boardrooms think the mission is. Um, if you don't want that, then what's what's the alternative? Uh, well, serving the public interest, serving many stakeholders, that's the alternative. And and what B corporations do, and this was initially a voluntary uh, certification process, it says, no, we as a company, we're committed to serving a variety of stakeholders and we're putting that in our governing legal documents. And then this organization went on to say, well, let's make it part of incorporation in state law. So you can incorporate, I think there's 36 states now that you can incorporate as a benefit corporation, um, as opposed to a C corp or an S corp. So it, it um, it's, it's, it, to me, it's an, it's another model. It's a step in the evolution of the corporation, which we need if we're going to have a democratic economy. And it's also, these are, are demonstrably better, particularly if you combine worker ownership and uh, B Corp. The evidence shows that they have demonstrably superior social and ecological outcomes. Okay, so Marjorie Kelly, I went to bed last night reading your book. You have some optimistic statements, which I found really fascinating. Then I woke up this morning to read about Exxon's doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down on fossil fuels for the future. Tell me why you have any optimism at all. <laughs> well, I think that, uh, you know, if we're going to have any optimism, it has to be grounded in, in, in fear. And uh, we're in a state of emergency, Bill. It's climate inequality, uh, the rise of authoritarianism, which is often fueled by, uh, by hard right, um, big money, dark money. We have to recognize that we're in, in an emergency and, and our, the shape of our economy is, is one of the two forces at the root of that. And once we see that, once we see that our economy is built on a premise of, of the wealth supremacy, 
I think that will undermine the cultural legitimacy of that system, and it will fall eventually. I mean, apartheid fell when it lost cultural legitimacy. Harvey Weinstein fell when his behavior lost cultural legitimacy. So my hope is that is that we can challenge the core of this system. And the alternative already exists. And, and that also gives me hope. We've been speaking with Marjorie Kelly. Her new book is Wealth Supremacy, How the Extractive Economy and the Biased Rules of Capitalism Drives Today's Crises. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for the book available through your local independent bookstore. We really appreciate your time and insights. Thanks, Bill. WHMP is looking for organizations that regularly distribute information about employment opportunities to job applicants or have job applicants to refer. If your organization would like to receive notification of job vacancies at our station, please notify us at Careers, WHMP Radio, 15 Hampton Avenue, Northampton, Massachusetts, 01060, phone number 413-586-7400, or email jobs at whmp.com. Saga Communications is an equal opportunity employer and encourages minorities and females to apply. Did you know that veterans make up about one-third of America's adult homeless population? Only 3.9 cents of each income tax dollar last year went to veterans' benefits. Ever wonder about where your tax money goes? More information on how your tax money is being spent can be found at nationalpriorities.org. WHMP Northeast. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And we welcome back to our studio. Well, I see that gaze from one Bill Dwight. I, it's, it's, it's a shame we're on radio. It's a loving because gaze. I, a loving, it's, yeah. it's a loving gaze. It could, it could, that could, I, 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 could, I could have been fooled. There was a loving gaze. Thank I you, Bill both. Dwight. More importantly, to be honest, we have with us the Reverend Peter Kakos, who's formerly pastor of the Edwards Church for many, many, many years, and a member of the Nuclear Freeze Nuclear Freeze, Future. Nuclear Free Future Coalition, excuse me, and Nick Mottern, who is a member of Demilitarized Western Massachusetts and a member of the National Board of Veterans for Peace. And we have uh, the Reverend Kakos and Nick Mottern with us today because there was a demonstration today, this morning, at L3 Harris, and I would appreciate your telling us what happened and why. Should we start with you, Nick? Yes, thank you. Um, we got there about 5.30 a.m. to blockade the main entrance and the secondary entrance of L3 Harris, 50 Prince Street in Northampton. And Hampton. what is L3 Harris? L3 Harris is a sixth largest military contractor in the United States and in Northampton. They make periscopes for attack submarines and optical targeting equipment for Navy vessels. And your purpose in this demonstration this morning was? purpose is to point out that L3 Harris uh, is a very dangerous entity in the world because of the weapons that they make. And in Northampton, we feel it's a toxic influence in the community because of the weapons that are made there. We don't want people to lose their jobs. We want L3 Harris to convert 
to making things that are supporting of life rather than death. Was there some specific reason for the demonstration today? Was this date important, or had this been planned for a while? What's the story about that? This, this has been planned over the last six months. Um, we brought uh, trailers, a, a large fiberglass boat, to block these uh, entrances. Um, there are five people there right now. Um, who are locked down into these uh, into the trailers and the boats so that they can't be moved easily. And the police have at this point allowed us to stay there. And so this protest is going to continue uh, th throughout the day, maybe longer, but there will be this afternoon at 5 p.m. a rally. And we're urging everyone in the community who can to join us during the day and at the rally at 5. Okay, so there... Among the things that I don't understand about what has happened so far is this. Uh, you're describing blockading L3 Harris, blocking the entrances, I believe. That's correct. Uh, so how come you're sitting with us in the studio and we're not visiting you in jail? Well, <laughs> I think that um, the police recognize... Not, not to put too fine a point on it, but... Well, <laughs> I think the police recognize that uh, there's a, a matter of free speech. Uh, the people... I, Peter, others have repeatedly over the last several years tried to make contact with L3 to talk about these different things. Um, and it reached, and I actually have gone up there every morning, uh, not, excuse me, once a week, every week for the last year and a half to hold a sign that says L3 convert to peace work. And so I'm very familiar with some of the people that I saw this morning who were not able to enter. You know, they had to go down to Smith College and park and walk up to the walk up to their jobs. So you did succeed in blocking the entrances to L3 Harris. We did. OK, Peter Kekos, your perspective on it. And were you there today? Oh, yes, I was there at 530. And, and what, you, what? Well, I don't, I don't I'm not sure my defense lawyer part of me doesn't want to ask what did you do. But tell us, tell us what you'd like to share about this. Sure. Well, you've waived your right to remain silent at this point. <laughs> Nick and I have, have been in discussion about this, a conversation for, for many years, in fact, about doing, taking an action, and, um, and other groups have come on board and decided to literally do so. And uh, we, you know, we believe the time has come for, for us to, um, to, to interrupt interrupt the, the weapons uh, manufacturing the mil with a, that they symbolize, the military-industrial complex. And uh, this, is, this is, is crucial, especially in this day, day and age of uh, a multiplicity of, uh, of international um, war crimes that are going on as we speak. Well, we should say that L3 has been involved with border surveillance, including in, in Gaza, the United States, uh, they're involved with nuclear weapons, they make drone parts, they make a great variety of, of weaponry, some of which is extraordinarily dangerous and, re and repressive. Reverend uh, uh, Peter Kekos, I, I really appreciate that you were there at 5.30 in the morning and that the protest is happening. But at the same time, um, you have targeted a business which makes these weapons of war in your attempt to have us demilitarized as a society, as a country. And really, the people that decide on whether or not how militaristic we're going to be are not the people that are there in this Northampton business. 
they're the people that are sitting in the bowels of government. And so I, how do we demilitarize? What is your view of how we accomplish that? Well, first of all, the people who are sitting in Congress um, are greatly influenced by the military-industrial complex simply because of the hundreds of millions of dollars that get poured, that's poured into uh, corporations, uh, building prototypes, um, sales abroad, on and on it goes. And it's really, I think, uh, as, a, as a block, the military-industrial complex is much stronger in this country than Congress and, and, uh, and has more clout. So, so being here to, uh, to, to interrupt, interrupt the work of the military-industrial complex, we feel is essential to get the word out to the people because the, the Congress will hopefully listen to the people, but even so, they must realize that we need to stand up to the, the powers that be, the real powers that be in this country, and may I say, in the world. And we're going to circle back to how people can join you uh, in this protest, but also here in the studio with us always, uh, it's not just a pleasure, it, it's always informative, is Bill Dwight, former president of the Northampton City Council, and somebody who I just think, uh, Bill, I, I just want to hear the Bill Dwight view of what's happened uh, in this Israeli-Hamas uh, nightmare that we're all <laughs> observing. Uh, and uh, just your thoughts. Wow, I... Um you know, in the context of this conversation, of course, um, the you know, not to be reductive, and, and I don't mean to be reductive, but every, every conflict, every human conflict, political conflict, is actually a territorial marking issue. It's, it's how we evolved as creatures, right? Um, we worked as communities. We didn't, uh, you know, I've often said this, we didn't grow up with talons and rapid and great speed and climbing ability. We couldn't rip apart things that scared us. Instead, we massed together in communities. But those communities actually, another way we evolved was the, the competitive nature, which also translates into uh, territorial protection. Territorial protection, we've taken it to its obscenest point. We've taken it to the point where we have, um, we feel obliged to obliterate other human beings or other communities that we consider a threat. I mean, it, and it covers the span from, you know, a fight over the Main Street redesign to the horrors that we're seeing demonstrated today. And speaking of demonstrations, demonstrations serve a very valid purpose. They, you know, it's, I don't think these gentlemen have any illusion that the fact that, you know, suddenly the people that they're demonstrating against will have an epiphany and change their minds. What they are trying to do is raise the consciousness of the people who drive by those buildings every day without uh, giving it a second thought for the most part. It's just another great building that, that you know, employs people. I, I'd, let me ask you this, Bill, and I'd, I'd like the same question to Nick, Nick Modern and as well as Reverend Peter Kekos, which is, what do you make of L3 Harris, which is a significant, I mean, they're not making nuclear bombs, but they are making instruments that are used in delivery of the American military might around the world. What do you make of them being here in Northampton and their place in this community? Well, it's actually what Peter was referring to, the military-industrial complex. I mean, the Pentagon 
long ago figured out the best way to preserve their development and investment in warfare was to place um, these big businesses in virtually every single state. So the point where you have Bernie Sanders defending uh, fighters that have no business being in the air, that um, they, their influence all over the country, uh, left, right, middle, doesn't matter, um, is critical because their economic, their economic engines for all the communities that they uh, move to. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to get Reverend Peter Kekos's view on this. And I would also like to have a comment on whether there was significant police restraint at this demonstration today, because I, just from my, well, not from my lay point of view, from my lawyer point of view, it did sound like the possibility was there for arrests, but they didn't happen. So your thoughts on what Bill had to say and on the demonstration today? Great. Well, just my thoughts on Bill first, and then we'll let Nick take the second part. But um, do we realize that the largest, single largest employer in the Commonwealth is Raytheon? 16,000. Who has a clout in this state? You know, and, and say what, uh, what Bill is saying. We have to realize Raytheon is, is it the sixth largest uh, uh, producer of military, of military I don't know, but warheads? I just read every time one of those thousands of Patriot missiles, whoever's shooting them up, that's $1.32 million Raytheon charges. Mm. A million and a third for every one of those things, and there's thousands of them. Oh. They're the third largest. Right. Third largest, yeah. So, so it's like, uh, oh, keep blowing people up because we're making a fortune yeah. every time you do yeah. replenishing that stock. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, in a progressive state like Massachusetts, I need to ask, where is the hue and cry about someone dealing in something that is, that is uh, arguably uh, a, a greatest example of immoral, um, immoral, uh, <laughs> immorality <laughs> in the country or in the world. Mm -hmm. Does this demonstration have a metrics by which we can measure its success or not? Well, I would say um, that in some ways this is a f form of prayer. And so we're, we're really speaking to people's sense of purpose, their conscience, and I, I mean, I've been standing up there now for about a year and a half. I, I wave to people when they come in, and other people wave to me, too. Um, I have a reason to believe that there are a number of people working at that plant who prefer to do a different kind of work, but they find themselves, as, as some people do, in the military, who are there because they basically need a job. Uh, Rick Moton, you're wearing a hat that says Veterans for Peace. Yes. Are you a veteran? I was in the Navy from 1960 to 1964, and part of that time, um, I actually volunteered to go to Vietnam. I was on a ship out of Pearl Harbor. Um, I, am, I am really so regretful that I did that. I did it out of ignorance, and fortunately, I didn't get involved with combat there, although I did witness the effects of the war. Um, so... I fell for the idea, you know, I, I was a young man. I wanted to travel. I wanted to see things. You know, we were told we were defending democracy. Now, every time I hear the United States government say they're going somewhere to defend democracy, all I see is warfare, people being taken advantage of and left, left in destitution. And so uh, what's going on now, in my opinion, 
between uh, the Israeli government and Hamas has a history in the, in the oppression and exploitation of Palestinian people. And I've witnessed, witnessed other places I've been. I've actually visited Jerusalem a number of years ago in the West Bank. And I've been to other war zones in, in, in my job. And I have n never encountered the tension and fear in the air in any other war zone I've been to as I, enc as I encountered in, in when I was in Jerusalem. Well, that is a great place to take a break and just reflect on those words yeah. from Rick. We'll be right back. You're just too good to be true Can't take my eyes off you You'd be like heaven to touch I wanna hold you so much At long last love has arrived And I thank God I'm alive You're just too good to be true Can't take my eyes off you're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It wasn't necessary and it probably wasn't even appropriate on the one hand. I don't want that to sound like I don't support schools. I have a long history of supporting schools, certainly longer than any one of those city councilors. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. Hi, I'm Jane Wolf, Executive Vice President of Residential Lending, asking you to come on over to the co-op. It just makes sense. And dollars, Jane. I'm Angie McClay, Residential Loan Underwriter, and we want you to know we've extended our mortgage promo, so there's more time to save on your mortgage closing costs. That's right. There's still time to save up to $1,250 when you obtain a pre-approval from GCB. We make it easy to apply online at bestlocalbank.com or at any of our branch locations. Our local, experienced mortgage team is happy to help walk you through the process and answer any questions you may have. So apply online or come see us in person and receive a $750 closing cost credit plus an additional $500 when we pre-approve you. Close by November 30th, be a new first mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. Franklin County has a vibrant history of farming. At the Franklin County House of Correction, we bring that history to life with education and vocational programs around farming and gardening. Incarcerated men and women learn to work an active organic garden. Best of all, they harvest, they send home to help support and feed their families. This is Sheriff Chris Donnellan, and I can't think of better therapy than farming and feeding your family. That's the history of Franklin County, and we honor it at the Sheriff's Office every day. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We are back and we are, we are talking about um, a demonstration that's happening. But I, I just wanted to turn our attention to the front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette with uh, you, Bill Dwight, which is Casper uh, is finalist for Nantucket position. Police chief since 2015 is one of three in a running 
for that island job. Now, you are no stranger to the Northampton police. I didn't mean that the way it sounded. <laughs> but, it's true. But, but I am uh, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about Jody Casper in general, her, her job performance, and in particular, to connect uh, the, what appears to be police restraint uh, with respect to the demonstration that we're talking about right now that's going on about demilitarization. Um, uh, and the fact that Jody Casper may be leaving. Yeah, well, we we always worried about this because Jody actually is a star, and in fact, actually, particularly in these fraught times, she actually demonstrated and continues to demonstrate um, a vision that um, many people in the in the in the country would prefer to have their police chief behave as, and I think. On some level, you know, speaking of the restraint that you guys have already experienced, that the police have stood back. Um, if you were in Seabrook back in the day, you'd all be in jail right now. Um, they'd give you a bus, maybe, but you know. And here, um, Jody Casper has been a star. Um, she's taken an awful lot of heat um, at the same time, and whether that heat with with grace. And I always worried about the fact that, you know, someone's going to cast a line and try and poach her. Um, and there wasn't much we could do about it. I think Nantucket, I, you know, I, I actually, I, I think Nantucket would be incredibly lucky to get Jody Casper. And we, on the other hand, would be very unlucky. It will um, create um, a vacuum that, Will be difficult to fill. I mean, Jody. When Jody came on, she uh, skipped a rank. Um, I was part of the committee that chose her. Uh, there were four other men, retired um, police chiefs. Jody was the youngest, but Jody, first of all, homegrown, but has a sophistication and intelligence that really is unparalleled in anyone I've had the privilege to interview, and. Um, push pretty hard for her to become the police chief. And I don't regret that for a moment, other than the fact that we now, we will have this vacuum that will be very, very hard to fill. If, if she's hired, I mean... She, the, yeah, it's, if she's hired, and, and I don't want to be put in the position of hoping against her wishes, but... I don't want to hope against your wishes. I want to hope against your wishes. I, 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 I do. I, look, I, no one's disagreed, I think, more publicly with Jody Casper about some policy issues than I have. Right. But when we were engaged in one of these really contentious, potentially contentious, certainly contentious in the uh, community issues regarding uh, policing in Northampton and surveillance cameras and the like, Jody Casper told me to meet her at 7 o'clock in the morning. We'd spend an hour. We did that, I think, three times. And she did not need to do that. She was open to listening, to hearing, to thinking and rethinking her positions. She is a gem, and I hope she doesn't lead much as I've disagreed with her and still disagree with her on stuff. But she is a terrific police chief, and we should recognize that, and I hope she'll stay. Yeah, I mean, the selfish me says, I hope that some other goober gets that job and we, we get to keep Jody. But the fact is, is that um, if it's not Nantucket, there will be other communities that will definitely be able to offer more money and more challenges and uh, new experiences, and it's hard to compete with that. But, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, but that that's I, – I think Jody deserves better than what we've been able to offer her for the most part. So we, we've been fortunate. 
And if she does go to that island, may she be able to afford it. <laughs> yeah, I hope, certainly hope she'll look into that and not jump ships. <laughs> I, I think the job offers uh, housing, but in, in a, you know, lobster shack somewhere. And then just sort of, but, but, you know, it's, and then, by the way, it's a community where its population drops like nine-tenths uh, after the summer. And yeah. then it's Islanders, and it's, it's also one of the most expensive places to live in the country. So let me throw it back to you, Reverend Peter okay. Kiko. So tell us more about the demonstration that we have planned, um, especially for 5 o'clock later today. Okay, great. Can I, I'm gonna hand, I want to pass that to Nick. Pass it thank to you. Nick. Nick Motor. Okay, yeah, thank you. Uh, first, I, I wanted to say that the police, not just the police chief, acted in a very correct way toward us. They were listening to what we were talking about and how we would handle different things, and I think that's something that should be said is, I, I'm sure the chief is good, but I think there are other police there who were very conscious and understanding. Uh, what's, what's going to happen for the rest of the day is that people will come and go from that site where the driveways are blocked. Tell us again where the site is and what this time. This is at 50 Prince Street. It's up on what's called Hospital Hill. Route 66. And on Route 66, and we're going to have a rally there at 5 p.m., and we're urging the whole community to come and join us at that time. And once again, uh, could you summarize what the rally is all about for those listeners and who weren't with us? Thank earlier? you. Yes, the rally is at the uh, plant of L3 Harris. Uh, it's a part of a huge military industrial country, company, uh, Global. This is their branch, and we're there to say we want weapons to be made for peace and life excuse me, we want the weapons making to stop so that we can have production for peace and life rather than death. And that's, that's the main message. And Reverend Peter Kekos, I do want to ask you, did you expect to get arrested this morning? Um, no, no, I didn't. Um, didn't know exactly what was going to happen other than that it would be, uh, <clears throat> that we'd be effective in blocking the entrance. And as I said, interrupt the, the work of the, of, of the, of the military-industrial complex. But I believe that the reason that the police have been in restraint is because, as they should, they've been in direct consultation with the heads of L3 Harris and are taking some guidance from them. Well, I should also say that there was a, looked like a police helicopter that came and circled over. It could have been a private helicopter. I've never seen one around here like that. Northampton doesn't have a helicopter. Okay, so in other words, there are other people watching. Well, actually, the state police do have the fixed-wing aircraft yeah. and the helicopters that they use to surveil yeah. quite often demonstrations. Well, workers did gather across the street. Some of them were very angry. The, car, you know, the cars were packed up, you know, along the street across the way. And so I don't know what L3 Harris's position is on this, but I can't say that they, that's why the police behaved the way they did, but I've been involved with many demonstrations and the police here acted very correctly. They didn't make up rules as they as they went along. Well, what do you say to those workers who are concerned about their job, and uh, they feel like you're impeding their ability to earn a living? What well, do you say to them? I, I would say that what we're trying to do, because they are hard workers, they are technicians, they have a lot of training and a lot of imagination, I feel that there's a number of them who would rather do other kinds of work, who could figure out other kinds of work to do without even having to ask their bosses. 
but it's really incumbent upon our politicians to make demands upon the company to change what they make. And that's really what we're after. Although these are, I take it, contracts from the United States Navy. Uh, the Navy's not going to contract for what you would like the Navy. Well, in the Nuremberg trials, it was said that saying that I was just following orders was not an excuse for war crimes or doing things that are basically wrong. So weapons makers have a responsibility as human beings to decline to make things that kill other people. So it's not like they have to follow orders. They choose to do it, and they choose to blame Congress for it. But we could ask ourselves, why are people allowed to speculate on stock of weapons contractors? Why is L3 Harris allowed to give Congress uh, $2.4 million in campaign contributions in 2022? Those are all things that are affecting what's going on. And the workers, are, in some ways, are taking the, the brunt of this because I know, and I, I talked to the mother of one of the workers there a year ago. She said, my daughter really doesn't want to work here, but she's, now she's into it, and she doesn't know what to do. And so that's, we're, we're trying to speak to the people who have those feelings and saying, yes, you're right. Talk to your bosses and say, we're sick of doing this. You know. Yeah, I do know. I, I do understand. I, I just want to, I, I want to return to Bill Dwight and because this is one of those moments. I mean, as a Jew, um, what happened on Saturday and Sunday was so horrifying to me, the, the decapitation of infants, the level of uh, terrorism that, that we watched. And yet, once again, the response is going to be as horrific as the as the act that precipitated it, and uh, you have been for a very long time dealing with how do I balance these incomprehensibly different, uh, sometimes counterintuitive things. And I just want to know when when you see an act like what Hamas engaged in, um, obviously concerted, obviously planned. Um, how I'm not asking you what exactly Israel should do, what the United States should do, but but how do we even consider what the right way, right direction to, right form of response should be, in your opinion, Bill White? Well, um, just a little question. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, first of all, understand and know the horror that's been visited to all these people, all of them, and that will continue, and that has continued forever. And it's actually, it speaks to the point that these two gentlemen are. Um, advocating to prevent. I, I, but the response, you know, we, this will be um, a series of escalating responses. The global uh, political climate has changed significantly as a result of this. The What you're talking about is very real horror that's being, that is the life experience of people on the ground there. We have the advantage of you know, fighting over Main Street redesign here, which is, you know, you know, it, it makes, it puts everything else in context and significant context. I think this community is hurting. Our community here is a, be struggling with the same thing that you described. Um, uh, uh, the progressive community has always had a fragile piece relative to um, 
how they feel about Palestinians, how they feel about Israelis and everything else. That's all blown up, um, and that's not an intentional pun, but that's all, that was all shattered uh, this weekend. Suddenly, you're seeing these schisms that you wouldn't witness before. It's, so I don't have an answer to it because, other, I mean, you know, I, I don't have a unique quality that allows me to step back and say, oh, this is, what, you know, if people just grow up and stop being babies about stuff, then we'd be fine. But that's not, that's not, it's ridiculous and facile and as, as it, it just all, so what it does is it contributes to my and all of our ongoing frustration and despair. Um, so there's my happy note to that. Well, that happy note sort of uh, echoes uh, my not-so-happy confusion about what the right way to look at this. Meanwhile, today at L3 Harris, uh, which is at 50 Prince Street in Northampton, um, particularly at 5 o'clock, but before then as well, there will be a continued demonstration ag ab ab against militarism and um, our inability to not be babies while we slaughter each other. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for being with us. Thank today. you. Thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome. I've got no other place to stay. You throw my clothes out the holes. They told me you didn't love me anymore. is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. 65 low-income households in East Hampton will benefit from a new canopy solar array at River Valley Co-op on Route 10. The canopy is expected to produce enough energy to power the building and provide a nearly $20,000 yearly savings on electric bills for participants in the community solar program. Community solar is a type of solar energy where a number of individuals can subscribe to and share the benefits of a single solar system. Northampton may soon need a new police chief. Chief Jody Casper is one of three finalists to become chief in Nantucket. Mayor Gina Louise Shera tells the Gazette she hopes Casper stays in Northampton, but is not surprised places like Nantucket would value her leadership. Casper has been with the Northampton Police Department for 25 years and became the city's first female police chief in 2015. Once elected, the new Nantucket police chief is expected to start sometime in mid to late November. The Vermont Yankee nuclear power plant stands to complete the decommissioning project four years early. The facility has been closed since 2014 after operating for over 40 years, and Northstar obtained the site in 2019, working to quickly demolish the facility. And the Southampton Police Department will be transitioning to utilizing the East Hampton public safety dispatchers due to significant staffing shortages. East Hampton dispatchers will be used to send Southampton police, fire, and EMS to any calls they receive. The Southampton Police Department lobby will remain unlocked for the community to come in and access services. 
Sun cloud combination today continued relatively mild, a high of 64 to 68. Scattered clouds tonight, evening temperatures in the 50s, an overnight low of 38 to 44. Much cooler tomorrow, partly to mostly sunny and a high of 58 to 62. Most of the weekend looks dry. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. I'm Lisa Riley. Join me every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP as we share stories that shine a light on justice-involved individuals or just underdogs in the game of life, their struggles, their successes, and the many resources and opportunities available for those who are hustling to carve a new path and prove that failure isn't final. So unlock your future, rewrite your story. This is The Hustler Files. You want the very best opportunities for your child. Given the amount of time children spend in school each day, you want your child to be inspired, to be engaged, to love going to school. At Bement, each student experiences this every day. The Bement School in Deerfield is a close-knit community of students from around the valley and across the globe. Kindergarten through ninth grade, learning from each other in the classroom, rooting for each other on the athletic field, and celebrating each other on the stage. We are local, we are global, and our differences make us stronger. We interact face-to-face, share meals together every day, and open doors for one another. The true essence of your child's time at Bement is preparing for a life of integrity, of significance, of joy. Financial aid and transportation are available to help make a Bement school education possible. I'm Kim Laughlin, Director of Admission. Please contact me or visit our website. Bement will be the best investment you make in your child's future. Do you know what's going on in business in Western Mass? You do if you read Business West. Find out which companies are growing, which companies are innovating. Learn about people on the move, people taking the lead. Every issue of Business West is packed with business news, including incorporations, building permits, real estate transactions, and bankruptcies. Pick up a copy or read Business West online. The vital business news is in Business West, the business journal of Western Mass. And welcome back to the show. This is our All That Jazz segment with Glenn Siegel. And Glenn Siegel, you have a very special guest who I hope technology is going to allow us to be speaking with in a minute. Yes, our guest uh, today is pianist, composer, band leader, and educator Michelle Rosewoman, who's been making groundbreaking music for over 40 years. She brings her 11-piece Afro-Cuban New Yoruba Ensemble to the Springfield Community Music School on Tuesday, October 24th, for a 7.30 performance. Michelle Rosewoman, welcome to WH... No, um, Michelle is not quite with us yet, um, so we will uh, get that going soon. Perfect opportunity. Tell us about this 11-piece. Yeah, so this is uh, the New Yoruba Ensemble, which uh, Michelle Rosewoman has been leading for 40 years uh, she was born in Oakland, California, and has been living in New York for many, many decades and uh, formed this group uh, soon after moving to New York. 
so it's uh, it's varied in size, but in the last few years, it's been an 11-piece uh, ensemble, horns, uh, horn section, and then a full uh, Latin percussion ensemble. So there are uh, uh, trap drummers and uh, uh, batad drummers. And I think Michelle is with us now. Uh, Michelle Rosewoman, are you there with us? Okay, are we live on the air, I take it? Yes, we are. are. Welcome to WHMP, Michelle. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So my first question is, uh, the the marriage of jazz and Latin music is decades old, but you've really forged new ground bringing together jazz and the folkloric and religious music of Cuba. Uh, You formed New Yoruba 40 years ago. Tell us how you came up with this unique concept. Okay, I'll try to say it in brief, which is hard because there's uh, hardly a beginning or an ending to these kind of things. But uh, just coming up here in the music that I heard that shaped me so much, which included a lot of spiritual music from around the world, uh, traditional jazz, a lot of R&B and funk being from the Oakland Bay Area. And when I was about 18, I took a class in uh, Afro-Cuban percussion in the summertime. And uh, that was, uh, I was already playing piano in, and into jazz traditions and improvisation. But that class uh, was kind of the beginning of these worlds coming together. Uh, at the time, I didn't realize that because they were pretty parallel. Uh, I, I didn't really know anyone that was combining or hearing them as one as I started to. Uh, what happened is after delving pretty deeply into it and being kind of equally obsessed with that, uh, I started hearing the music coming together in my dreams, literally. So I came out of a dream one day and, and started writing what I was hearing, and that started the repertoire for New Yoruba. <coughs> Excuse me. So... <clears throat> I moved to New York in 1980, in 1978. In 1980, Puntilla, Orlando Puntilla, Rios, the great Cuban folklorist that shaped so many of us and uh, was a foundation here, uh, he came and, and he became a, a centerpiece for um, uh, just a pivot point. Uh, his voice, his repertoire uh, became the basis for... Uh, putting these things together that I was hearing and thinking and imagining, and and my purpose was to make him comfortable in the setting. So that was the birth of New Yoruba through an NEA grant that I got to uh, present 14-piece ensemble featuring Puntilla. And the personnel was quite something, Glenn. Uh, You would know everybody in the band, and it was quite a who's who. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the name of the band. What's the significance of the name New Yoruba? And that's new and then Y-O-R-U-B-A, New Yoruba. What's the significance? Right. Um, so the significance is, uh, the, uh, the idea is uh, the music being born through the Yoruba people uh, in Nigeria and the diaspora and the traveling of the music from uh, centuries-old Africa to Cuba to present-day New York. So within the name, you can see Yoruba, you can see Cuba, and you can see New York. Uh, the logo expresses it as well, as there is uh, the 
island of Cuba kind of coming out both ends of a of a bata drum uh, and the island is a, a, a keyboard piano keyboard and the background is the uh, sky skyscape of New York mm-hmm. so yeah it's about the traveling of these traditions that are so forever that uh, are so alive everywhere that they go and uh, so it, it is in a contemporary setting but with all due respect to the the, tra- the traditions and the, uh, the 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 sacredness of those traditions. Yeah, you mentioned bata drums, and th- they play a central role in your music uh, and in Afro-Cuban religious music. Tell us what bata drums are, and what was the reaction when you first used the bata drums and chants that accompany them in a secular context? Uh, well, the bata are considered talking drums. They speak the Yoruba language. And the sacred tradition, they are they are only played in sacred spiritual settings. Let's say that they're not, these days they're used just because people have a musical interest, but uh, traditionally that is their purpose. And uh, so even though we call this a secular setting, many of us, in the group are actually involved spiritually, and so we are uh, expressing ourselves in a, in that spirituality in the setting of New Yoruba. Uh, the Bata are beautiful. They, they're very complex. Um, it's amazing to me that they're actually speaking the Yoruba language, and they come out sounding like they do. I mean, it's the most intricate tradition of rhythm that... Uh, I've heard, or let's say that's touched touched me in such a deep way. There's others, uh, but there's something about this and and the, the way that they they kind of find all the cracks of time, all the possibilities rhythmically are in there one way or the other, uh, just about. So the, it's endless, and um, the sound of the drums is is very moving. Um, people that haven't been around them and and are exposed are usually touched in a way that they, they're not quite understanding what they're feeling because they really are on a metaphysical plane. They're, they're, they're creating a certain kind of uh, magic, uh, mysticism, and energy. Yeah. And these are three different sizes of two-headed drums, hour-shaped, uh, hourglass-shaped uh, drums, uh, which are, are beautiful, and we'll get to hear them uh, in all their glory on October 24th at the Community Music School of Springfield as Michelle Rosewoman brings her 11-piece New Yoruba Ensemble. Uh, the concert is produced by Pioneer Valley Jazz Shares, and you can get tickets and more information at jazzshares.org. It sounds like just an, an incredible... Every time I hear Cubano music, I just... My feet won't behave. They just go crazy. We're going to take a break, and we're going to be back speaking with band leader and pianist uh, Michelle Rosewoman and, of course, our own Glenn Siegel right after this. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. 
It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Get informed and get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Program. Intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. Last summer, Whalen Insurance finally did what a lot of insurance agencies around New England had done long ago. We partnered with a call center to handle routine things like a change of address. It went okay, but we're not going to continue. We found out that no matter how simple or complicated the matter at hand, you prefer to talk to us. As one longtime Whalen Insurance client told me, the people at the call center are great, but they're not Amy. I like knowing I can call and talk to Amy every time. I guess I should have known. Local people and local service are what sets Whalen Insurance apart from those big 1-800 insurance companies. When you want a quote, when you need help with a claim, or anything else, just call. Or come to our office on King Street. Talk to Amy, or Kelly, or Mindy, or Valerie, or Lori. We tried the call center, you tried the call center, and we found out that you prefer talking to us. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. Call 586 1000. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the co-op every day. At the co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just the right amount in the co-op's bulk department. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back <laughs> forecasting just what sounds like an extraordinary concert. It's going to be a jazz share concert at the Community Music School uh, of Springfield on October 24th. And it is uh, <coughs> Glenn Siegel with uh, band leader Michelle Rosewoman, who is leading that 11-piece uh, ensemble, the pianist and band leader. Michelle, uh, I wanted to ask you a question. The The musical and religious practices of uh, Bata and, uh, are, are really male-dominated, and up until a certain point, only men played the Bata uh, drums, uh, and there are strict gender roles when it, comes where, when it comes to who can play this music and who has access to it. So how did you break down those barriers? Well, uh, you know, uh, Glenn, we were up there with Puntilla. It mm-hmm. was one of the last, it was the last concert that he played with us. And uh, in Puntilla's world, women didn't play. But early on in meeting, I shouldn't say just in Puntilla's world, but he came from that tradition where uh, it was uh, definitely uh, that was the shape of it. Uh, but he invited me very early on to his bata classes to absorb the language to learn uh, without hands-on because he saw what I was trying to do and where I was heading, and he always fed uh, fed that in in every way. Uh, So he was generous in his way, very. Uh, It was a harder way to learn, (laughs) to say the least, and um, as time passed and uh, and after Puntia passed and... uh, other uh, folklorists, actually, 
a lot of his godchildren were my first friends here in uh, New York. When I came, I hooked up with other conga players that were impassioned and taken with and, you know, just gone into the Afro-Cuban folklore traditions like myself. And so we hung a lot. And so a lot of us, uh, we gathered around Puntilla. And so they were my friends early on. And this uh, later generations have a different stance about that, although those who are really holding down the front retain it to a certain extent. Um, there is a, there's something there that will probably never quite leave. Uh, but women do play bata now, and uh, I was able to hands-on learn a lot of things that I needed to learn to do what I went on to do and what I'm try- continuing to try to do. And I, I'll say thanks to several of uh, Puntilla's Ayalos, his godchildren, and then I went to Cuba as well and studied with the great uh, Lázaro Pedroso, who's one of the greatest folklorists and masters of the language as well, which gets lost if nobody tries to uh, to keep it. But, you know, he's very generous in teaching, and, and uh, so things have changed in that way. Uh, to a certain extent, they've really changed. I wanted to ask you about uh, Roman Diaz, who uh, is featured in New Yoruba and will be coming to Springfield on October 24th, and also Greg Osby. We only have a couple of minutes. Um, tell us a little bit about Roman and Greg Osby, who play saxophone. And Roman is a great uh, percussionist and folklorist. Well, sure. Well, Roman Apuntia brought Roman into my uh, circle, and uh, and um, Roman has become the foundational uh, piece of the group around which uh, a lot of things are built. So Roman is... Uh, a treasured collaborator of mine. Uh, we have a long history now. Greg Osby, we go back, we go way back. Uh, he's on my first quintessence recording. I'm on his first recording. He's a fantastic, creative voice in this music, vital, uh, with many records on Blue Note and always involved in interesting projects. But that's a very original voice, both of them, extremely original voices. And I'm um, honored to have them as part of the ensemble. Yeah, that's beautiful. We're really looking forward to it. Uh, and uh, I should mention in passing that there's an afternoon workshop at Holyoke Media at 1, uh, 1 p.m. Not a workshop, but a uh, panel discussion and uh, demonstration of some of the uh, religious uh, music concepts that we've been talking about so my guest has been Michelle Rosewoman, pianist, composer, band leader, who's leading her new Yoruba ensemble on Tuesday, October 24th, 7.30 p.m. at the Community Music School of Springfield. You can get tickets and more information at jazzshares.org. Len Siegel, you and Jazz Shares always bring us such wonderful musicians to this region. We're just so lucky. And, and uh, I'm telling you, Cuban music just sends me. It's, yeah, it's yeah, something yeah. else. Meanwhile, thank, thank you all for joining us today on Talk to Talk. Remember, walk the walk. Looking to take a little breather from the news? We don't blame you. Why don't you turn the dial over to our pure oldie station? It's the music you grew up with. WHMP and the News will be right here when you get back.
The Valley's Pure Oldies, 96.9 and 100.5. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160. 